0: For this episode, I'm in a studio on the Gold Coast, sadly, but I was meant to be at the cool new Mighty Car Mods Super Garage. The public holiday for the Queen's recent passing meant a bit of a shuffle of jobs for me. I had to bring them forward. So I am determined to pay the boys a visit and check it out the next time I'm in their part of the world. But we wanted to get to this conversation. Mighty Car Mods, if you haven't heard of them, is a great Aussie Automotive success story. Millions of followers on YouTube and Facebook. But Marty and Blair, who most of you probably know as Moog, don't think of themselves as influencers or YouTubers. They are just a couple of regular guys, not mechanics, who learnt through forum convos and the internet about cars and how to modify them. They are seriously passionate about them too, and sharing the stories of their projects and the places that cars have taken them.
1: In this episode of Mighty Car Mods, we are here to answer the question that absolutely nobody asked. That is, what is faster? (laughs) My Daihatsu midget or Marty's K-truck tipper? And that is exactly what we're going to be doing on this episode.
0: What began as a bit of fun for a couple of clever dudes who also happen to be very talented musicians has gone global. They're the world's number one DIY auto and adventure show. They're broadcast worldwide on the Discovery Channel and have over half a billion, that's with a B, YouTube views. They've filmed in all sorts of countries, found driven and worked on some legendary cars and plenty that you wouldn't expect too. Not to mention getting a call up to collaborate on projects alongside some massive film franchises like Mad Max, Fast and the Furious, Transformers and Need for Speed. Naturally in this convo we can't tackle every car and every project. That's for you to enjoy by going online and checking them out. We will get to a few though. I'm really interested in sharing their backstory with you and what the future might bring. If for some reason you haven't seen their awesome work, you can go to mightycarmods.com. I started by asking them if they'd pause to appreciate just how far this whole deal had come. A couple of early adopters pioneering well before good internet speed and it took off. Welcome, you two. It's nice to to catch up again. Um, We'll reminisce here and rewind the clock and and what have you. But can we start by just saying, is there ever a moment nowadays where you pause and go, holy, what this thing has kind of become? Do Do you pause to... Soak it all up every day now,
1: actually. Yeah, every day. Uh, this is Moog. I'm the one that wears the beanies and the hats. Um, yeah, all the time. I can't believe it because sometimes I think we can get so inflated numbers all the time now. We're kind of used to seeing how many singles someone sold, or how many people watched a movie, or billions of this and billions of that. But sometimes I think, even with some of the smaller YouTube channels that might get 10,000 viewers, but they've got like a dedicated audience if you imagine what those people look like in a stadium and it's a lot of people and I think that's the amazing thing about um, YouTube now that you get these amazing communities of different people that can really get into what they're into, you know. You can be into anything and people can follow it and so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very aware of that and very grateful
2: for it. Yeah, I'm for- I forget and then I'm reminded because when you've got your head buried in a Honda Civic that's leaking and won't start and the immobilizer's wrecked and, you know, you, you're literally spending hours of your week just fighting with these shitty cars, not all of them are shitty but plenty of them are, uh, most of them are. Um, you sort, you do forget because, and the good thing is, you've got your, you know, your circle of mates and people you know well who are going through the same stuff, and um, you know, just just living life and doing all the normal stuff, buying toilet paper, the things that everyone does. Um, and then but yeah sometimes you'll go to a meeting or event and there's just these there's so much enthusiasm and i think it's really cool to see that in real life because as as my my good friend there was saying it's um it is easy to get caught up in numbers and we got 48,000 and 50, and 1 million whatever it is it's like there can be three you know dudes or girls that show up to a, um, a meet or an event and and are so excited about whatever that shitty civic is and they're just talking about it. it's such a big deal to them and that, that's a really nice reminder and i try to focus on that as a as a Positive thing, um, rather than focus on the fact the car's a piece of shit.
0: Uh, Marty, you used in your answer there just a nice little term which which I love. My good friend, how the hell did you guys meet? Where did that start? And and uh, has you know this journey when you are working so closely together on this journey has it ever been tested that friendship at all?
1: I'll tell you quickly why he just said my good friend. <laughs> uh, it's because I've got two names. Uh, it's because um, Marty knew me first as Blair. Which is my name that I do, you know, that I've used for music, Bledge Josselin, I'm composer. Uh, And uh, yeah, that's right. That's me. Um, But then um, I really like, um, you know, old synths and different things. I had a nickname uh, as Moog, uh, which was um, uh, by music people that I got at uni. And so that kind of became a bit of a nickname that I use. And that's the name that I kind of use on the show. And that's the name that I'm known for mostly. Um, How did we meet though? Um, We met as high school teachers uh, at a school. Well, we were working in a music department at a high school. I was a um, music composition teacher uh, and Marty was running the recording studio there. There. And so we met first and foremost in a educational environment, um, working with kids
0: and working in and around music. Awesome. We're talking to you today. You've got your own little studio because you guys compose, put together your own music for your clips. I mean awesome to think that you're doing that now.
1: Yeah, well, the, the, uh, music is the, a huge component of our show and something that, um, you know, we've done all of the music for our show over the last 15 years. There's hundreds and hundreds of pieces of music and, in fact, there's so many that only this year, after 15 years of the show, there's been so much music that we've had to categorise it into different categories. There used to just be a folder that's called, like, the MCM Music folder and there's so much in there now, it's been broken out into hip-hop, rock, orchestral, tense, you know, whatever, so that as we're editing now, it's easier to, easy to find and stuff, but I think it's in a way Mighty Camp has just been kind of one expression of our interest in trying to teach people and educate things, and that's how we met, and that's what we're still doing now. It's just a slightly different format.
2: I think it's interesting that we're speaking on a format which would be a disruptor to radio about a format which was a disruptor to TV, <laughs> and um, and now that now that disruption is being disrupted again by other formats. And it's, I find it kind of interesting. I mean, we've been doing this show for 15 years, we've known each other for nearly 20, um, and and yeah like it youtube as a space is kind of quite mature now once upon a time you said to someone you know someone says oh what, what do you do I, I make videos for youtube for what because you know when we started you couldn't watch youtube on a phone and now most people watch youtubes on a on a on a phone over 90% i think it is over 90% so it's, it's a big number and so there's been so many changes in that in that space the whole time that it's sort of like It's not like you can go, well, there's been 50 years of TV and we're in the golden age. It's like, is there a golden age? How long does it go for? All those questions. I mean, there's bigger conversations, but I find it very interesting that this is now something we speak about, even though, yeah, we
0: met in a recording studio. I want to talk poster cars in a minute and what it was like when you were were younger, when it was probably more magazines rather than, or in that transition phase to, to internet. Can we just come back to the music for a moment? Our good friend, Ebony Doherty at Michelin, asked me in the lead up to this about music. My car goes right? What, what's the turd on the back seat? Can, can we share a little bit of some of these stories in relation to some of the unique music? You should play some of the song.
1: Where are the wheels? Gone. Turbo? Gone. Drive shafts? Gone. Credibility? Gone. The stereo? Gone. Fresh air? Gone. The money? In the bin. So I messed up and now you've heard. What's that in the back seat? That's a human turd. There's a million ants and salmonella. We're going to take the engine and then we'll sell her. I've always loved music and I've always been really sincere about the way that I write music but at the same time I've been in bands and Marty's been in bands as well and it seems to be that you kind of there's this sense of kind of you're in a funny band you've got your weird Al Yankovitches and those kind of guys like doing you know their kind of funny songs and I think you can actually kind of be funny and sincere at the same time which is a tricky thing really if you think of kind of um Music, you know, ninety-five percent of them are about love. There's actually a study that's done a couple of years ago. You know, the songs are about love. We write songs about turds on the backseat, <laughs> uh, and, um, and 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 uh, and and things like that. And what's really interesting is because of the reach of the show quite often um, the music is all written bespoke so that we, we recently bought a car, Sight Unseen, off the internet. It was a green Honda Civic. Um, it had a mouldy turd in the back and someone had used the car as a urinal. And so we wrote a song called Turd on the Backseat. And so we released the song and because there's so many um, so many people watching the show, um, they go and download the music and quite often, uh, numerous times a year, uh, we have songs that go number one on the iTunes charts in their categories, um, music that has been written for and released on the show and... Um, and that to me is really interesting because in some ways I kind of – I became more successful as a musician doing YouTube in that commercial sense than I was as a musician by myself because there's – um you know, the songs now have had millions and millions of streams or downloads or whatever that is. And that would have never happened if I wasn't um, buying cars that had turds on the backseat. You
0: know? That is so. a very funny video that, that um, listeners should go and have a, a look at. I, it was a – What did you say? I think at the time, uh, not many, one of, uh, internet purchase, just (laughs) what the hell drove that?
1: My thing is kind of search for cheapest and buy it now. You've got to remember as well, like I I think that regardless of technology changing, stories are universal Mm. and stories are beyond language, beyond gender, beyond race, beyond religion, all this stuff, just a story about overcoming something. And so I think that while... DIY, I mean, why is that relevant? Why am I saying that? Is because when we started, we were teaching people how to add car play to a car, we're teaching them how to change their wheels, how to change a head unit. I gather now, if you go and buy probably a Tesla Model 3, I've never driven one, but I understand that's kind of the common kind of affordable car now. How much are they, Money? 50 60 grand? Affordable if you're going for EV, yeah, uh, for EV. But the thing is, you get one of them or call it a Golf people are not changing the stereos, right? They don't need to. Plus, the stereos are integrating all the climate stuff. They're integrated into the steering and wheel. Good. Uh, and they And they sound really good. You can option your car for an extra grand and get all these things. So, a lot of the formative years of Mighty Car Mods, of what we were showing people how to do, are now unnecessary things to do with a new car. Do you need to add central locking? It already has it. Do you need to add wheels? You can option nice wheels. You know, all the safety stuff is there. So, I think kind of as time goes on, and particularly as emissions clamp down, and that's probably, you know, another bit of the conversation. I don't know if people are going to have to modify cars in the way that they did in the past or whether it will even be legal, um, but we will always be interested in um, buying really cheap, shitty old cars and seeing what we can find in them, even if it is a turn a on very the back seat. Hey,
0: Can we wrap up the, the music element of our discussion here just by talking about your respective backgrounds? Are you kind of classically trained? Is it What What, what are you both respectively in a, in a music sense? I did music since I was a kid, like the usual thing of you know school bands and all that sort of
2: stuff, and and then mostly was playing bass guitar, guitar. I was doing a lot of singing as well through high school. So I went to a performing arts high school and focused on music. I was also interested in the technology side of things ever since I was a kid. So you know, recording studios, um, recording stuff. Back in the '90s, when I was really getting into it, it was really hard to record stuff, as as you'll hear, I'm sure. Um, compared to what it is today so you really had to battle for it and i'm like there was a point in year eight where i was sticky taping bits of wire together into a computer that the school had just got that was the first one that could record something in 16 bit 44 one which is cd quality and that was a big deal and so like we we hot wired this whole room in my school with my my band so we could make our first CD. so i think i made our first album when i was maybe in year nine so that's what 13, 14 years old 15 years something like that um and, you know, working out all the technology. So those those two loves were sort of always there from the beginning. And then through high school, you know, still studying music. Classically classical um, clarinet and classical singing was my thing. And then once I finished that, it was mostly once I finished school to to make money and just because it was fun with my mates, we'd, we'd play gigs and so I was playing mostly guitar and, and, and fronting the band and then I had a couple of mates that would come along and play as well. And I did that for nearly 15 years until there was like lots of fans in the audience who, who wanted selfies because of the car show and then I'm like, oh, okay, I need to like flip, flip gears here.
1: <laughs> Marty's playing it a bit let's be honest he was in a a successful band that's playing three four five nights a week every single week for a decade yeah and large crowds of people i mean i play a bit of guitar whatever that's how he was making his living
2: that was a good that was a good that was that sort of supported and and funnily enough my love for wagons and especially fast ones came to the fact you that, needed that I couldn't drive room, a, a hatchback yeah. I couldn't fit a PA and a drum kit in it so, yeah so that's why I got so into wagons ended up with Subaru wagons who makes a fast turbo wagon that's less than 20 grand Subaru does and so that started that sickness um, and then yeah, all those things kind of melded in together and I did that all through high school as well and, and sort of continued to a bit today it's more cars now and and you know because we got this show then people love it so much and there's a lot of, lot of work that's involved in that but we still yeah we still do a fair bit of music together and
1: um, yeah I, I mean I started playing you know piano when I was really young before I had lessons I was really drawn to playing music and playing instruments and I was grew up in Grafton and my pop had one of those big organs those double layered organs and I loved playing around with that and I think for my eighth birthday my mum gave me piano lessons and that was you may as well have just given me a remote control helicopter I was so (laughs) excited like I was just like this is the best and so I would spend hours a day kind of um Uh, just fiddling around with the piano. I didn't realise it at the time. I didn't know. I knew that there were composers, but I didn't know that that's what I was going to be because I really wasn't that interested in the notes that were on the page. And I would go to my piano lessons with my teach her Mrs. Whale and she'd say, play the notes on the page. And I was like, oh, but I think it sounds better if I do this. And, and she'd say, you know, she wouldn't say I don't care, but she she didn't care. She was like, play the thing on the page. And so then I went to the conservatorium and did my grades. And it was only probably when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I kind of realized that I was being graded on my proficient proficiency as a musician on how well I replicated music written by hundreds like hundreds of years ago and I kind of went that's kind of it's a really strange way of assessing someone's ability and so um I was, um, I'd started making my own music by then. I was playing in bands, I played drums in bands and was really into death metal and heavy stuff. And then, um I went to uni, and so I did my I did four years, I did an honors degree in music. and and only in like the second year because the first year you had to perform, and I wasn't as good as everybody else. And then second year, you got to choose your kind of the main thing that you were going to study, your major. And I was like, composition. And then I just flourished and just absolutely loved it. And so when I finished um music school, I just decided I would do any work I could that I could earn any kind of money. And I have spoken about this before, but I did pornos, fitness videos, on-hold systems, TV commercials, late-night sexy SMS ads. And, in fact, to get by, I remember there was a um, a tyre shop in Dural, which was near where I lived, and I needed a new set of tyres, either for my Holden Camaro or my Mini, because they were the two cars that I had at the time before I moved into a VL Commodore. Uh, and, um, and I rang them, And I said, I need some tyres, and I gave them the specs, and they said, we'll just check for you. And when they put me on hold, this... (laughs) And when they got back on the phone, uh, because I had no money, of course, I said, why isn't it that when I'm on hold, why aren't I hearing more about your services? Because they said, oh, we also do pink slips. And, we, and I said, you know what? I actually have a studio. I didn't have shit. I was in my bedroom. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I have a studio. If you want, I can do you an on-hold on system. How much are the tires going to cost? And they said, oh, that's 250 bucks. you know, so $1,000 or whatever it was. And I said, well, that's funny because an on-hold system costs about $1,000. So why don't I just come up and we'll have a meeting and we'll do a straight swap. Now, the way that we did it back then was that I had to buy and supply a little portable Walkman and that would be plugged into the wall and it would have a cable going out that would go into the phone system and it would be my voiceover. And so I would make original – the thought now that actually for $1,000 you get original music and, you know, whatever, later on, Marty and I would be charging – you know, ten times that to do some music, but anyway. And so I would make some music that I felt sounded like tire shop stuff, and then I would say, "Do you need a pink slip?" <laughs> Called Dural Tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 it'd be really exciting, and and it, and it'd go something like this: it'd go. While you're waiting, I know you guys are probably calling for tyres. Did you also know we do servicing? Old cars, new cars, European cars—we've got you covered down at Dural Tires. Come on down, and someone will be with you shortly. Uh, and then the music would play again, and uh, and then uh, sure enough, so I started I started going. Well, music. No one ever paid me a thousand bucks, but I started swapping music, and I would ring a bunch of companies whenever I t- whenever I needed something. And I'd say, um, oh, just put me on hold for a second. I've got to check something. And if they didn't have it on hold, I would sell my services. And I reckon I had like a 30% success rate of the 10 companies I spoke to, three of them I'd get through. And so I started making money. Saving money, not making... Well, I guess it's the same thing. I started saving money by trading on hold systems. Um, Later on, just very quickly, then uh, Marty and I took over a big studio in Sydney that did advertising, uh, music for advertising, and then I moved on to another one from there and and I've written music for hundreds of different um, brands and so I've written music for Mazda, Toyota, Visa, VB... Um, the, the supermarkets the banks you know i've i've done hundreds of different music jobs and then um more recently uh, the netflix series tales by light which is a beautiful documentary series where you know i've got to play big drums as the lion runs across the savannah and eats animals which is great so um so that's it music is definitely my first love and um and i just i absolutely adore it i think of it constantly um and when i get to drive around in a car and listen to music that's like the ultimate of my two interests it might in feel life. like
0: we've we've deviated a little bit from from cars here in the discussion, but for those that are listening, I think this is the beautiful sort of melding of all the parts that you guys have brought together and what you're now doing in in Mighty Car Mods. Firstly, just before uh, early cars and poster cars on the walls and stuff, you spiked my interest with Chimera. Can we have a little bit more oh on goodness, the Chimera? Yes. I've never heard someone say <laughs> that ever like- in my <laughs> life.
2: You've sparked my interest with a Chimera. That's the, literally no
1: one
0: Rusty, says no the way. only way
1: I could have spiked your interest is if a Chimera is somehow superior to your first car. And I want to know before we go on, what was your first car, when was it, and how did you acquire
0: it? And then I'll tell you my Chimera story. Beige 81 Holden Gemini SLX, four-speed. Bought it around the corner. Yes.
1: Oh, Marty. Marty's just fallen off his seat with excitement. <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, the reason I spo- the the whole Camaro thing. I, I just can't recall the last time I saw one on the road. I can't. You know. Can you even
1: find those at the wreckers <laughs> you anymore? Know, you, you know, the, you know yes, that we know why that is, right? <laughs> They're all broken, Rusty. They're all broken.
0: They haven't oh. survived.
1: Do you know why everybody hated them so much, Rusty? Like, because you know why philosophically people didn't like them is because it was the first front wheel drive. Folded. Exactly. exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: And Holdens and, were real drive, man. They
2: just were. Even yeah. the Gemini ones. And then in 1985, when the Gemini's went front-wheel drive, all the Gemini guys lost, lost their minds. <laughs> yeah, okay. What's this front-wheel drive crap? Yeah. Because it was... At that point, it was crap. I mean, you go and drive a, you know, Golf GTI now with a good diff in the front. I'm sorry, it's chopping every Camaro every mate, Ever yes. made. But yeah, yeah, But, yeah, yeah, no, back then they weren't great.
1: But the Chimera was... Um uh, it, mine only had 40,000 Ks on it, which I was really impressed with. I was like, this is mint. Because it um, couldn't go any further because it was too broken. And, no, 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 give me a break. But here's the weird thing. Here's the mystery. On my driver's side door was a square about 20 centimetres by 20 centimetres. And on the passenger side door was the same thing. And the paint on that square was much brighter than the rest of the car. Now, that was a mystery that would later be solved when I met somebody who told me that that car was a learner plate car that um, had actually done... It, its clock had gone all the way over and I was on the next 50,000 Ks uh, and that car had been um, doing the traps um, around the place and I ended up lending it to a mate who needed a car. He, it broke down in Pendle Hill and he left it there and I got a call from the police saying, we've got this car, it's registered in your name and, and what do you want us to do with it? And I said, can you get rid of it? And the Pendle Hill police just got rid of it and I've never heard of it ever since. <laughs> I didn't have to get rid of it, which was great.
0: What's the first one for you, Marty? Come on.
2: First car. Uh, so my story is Funnily enough Related to a Chimera So I made in school um, Had a Chimera And he was like The first guy To get his license what He was like legend. A couple months older He was the first dude And, and so you know That was my introduction to, to having a car In high school Last year of high school um, And then he also Worked at a bowling alley And so We didn't have much cash And I'd saved up A few hundred bucks Or whatever And then he came to school one day and said oh one of the dudes at work at the bowling alley is selling a Gemini do you want a Gemini and I didn't even really know what it was I mean at that point sort of reading some car magazines I had an interest in it but you know I was mostly interested in getting my first car so I could drive around and um and I said Oh, okay let us know and so he asked the guy and the guy said I'll take 300 bucks for it and um and so I went home and spoke to my folks and they're like oh yeah, yeah that that sounds like a good idea I said it needs some work they're like great you can learn how to fix it up it's a good skill to have I'm like excellent. Can right. I just
1: say, I just want to interject by saying how awesome are your parents for you to go home and go a guy at the bowling alley knows someone selling a car for $300 and your parents said, that sounds like a good idea. That is some excellent parenting I know. right there. Um, so
2: good. Because my mum's really into cars. I mean she, she, she loves them. She had Volkswagen Beetles and like she talks about all the time she really got into her Subarus. Now she's, now she's she just sold her 2 litre turbo all-wheel drive Subaru that we modified with an STI engine for a Tesla. So she's, and she loves it. Anyway, so, that's sorry. another story. Anyway, um, back to the bowling. Alley. Back to the bowling. Alley. So I said, yep, sounds great. He goes, great. Be here on the weekend to pick it up. Scott and Orejo need a tow truck. I'm like, great. Never called a tow truck. This deal's
1: getting better as it goes on. So I
2: went out to, um, I think it was uh, Parkley. S- Sunny- it? Parkley. Sunny Holt Road, Parkley. And I rocked up there and he goes, here's the address. And then we got to the address and he goes, no, nah, no, nah, it's round the side. He, I think at that point, there wasn't even text messages. It's stuff I'd written down from a phone call. When you get there, just go around the side and, and I'll, I'll meet you around the side. So when I got there, I looked up. And there's just like, like, f- like, f- like fencing with barbed wire everywhere, and there was a hole that he'd cut next to his little house inside this place. I don't know what it was. But the car was just sitting sort of outside the thing, and he ducked out from inside the the fence, and he's like, yeah, "Here you go, mate." And I gave him his three hundred bucks, and we put on the tow truck, and we left. And only later did I I realize that it was some kind of correctional facility. The, the
1: address he gave me was jail, oh.
2: so I think he was I think he was going to jail or had just got out of jail. Anyway, it was a bright Kermit Green TX ninety seventy five Gemini with a hot one point six liter in it, um, that I blew up exactly one year later. But I had to fix it. I had to get it through Rego. It was big dramas doing all that, and it sort of inspired me to. Really Really learn how to do stuff myself because you know that classic story of went to a mechanic, mechanic sees an 18 year old kid coming or 7 year old kid coming, and basically, like, you know, it takes him for six months worth of casual yeah. work just because he can like that happened and you know a couple of times and, and a few dealings with insurance companies and registration all this stuff so I learned very quickly um that I'd need to sort of skill up and be able to work on it myself so we fixed a bunch of stuff and I drove it around and I absolutely loved it I put a massive stereo in it because I love music I built an iPod in the boot because back then you couldn't get iPods and I wanted more than 18 tracks on a CD so I hotwired all this old computer gear that I'd installed into the boot with a little keypad and you had a list of a thousand songs and you just press the number and then the song would play this is in like 1990. Was anybody helping
1: you, like in terms of the car's mechanical, was anybody helping you? Like, how did you know? There was no internet to check. Oh, there was internet. There was very early internet, but not like forums full of info. Nah, it the was like crappy you know?
2: forums that you, you, you know do your dial up modem, and it take three days to load, and then you go and read a thing that someone. So a lot. I and mean, also there was a big community back then, which is what I like about YouTube stuff now. There's a good community then of people who would help you. So my my engine won't start. Something's going on. Cool. Try this. Try that. You know, get some manuals. Go to the library and get manuals. And a bit a bit more old school, but definitely internet was the dawn of that time, which is why I'm very much attached to. Um, yeah, being able to help people out, because i got a lot of help myself.
0: Hi again. I've been thinking, what can a car do for you? Keep listening to hear about the Roller Jeep Wrangler, a Daihatsu Mira and a studio called Gas. Join together to help start this adventure. What what was the the poster cars as you were growing up and give us the influences. I mean, you talked about your mum there a moment ago, and and the I guess the impact of family. I mean, family for a lot of people. If you talk to um, uh, racing drivers or sports people, things that go on in your in your your early life influence often where you're going. So, where's the love of cars come from for for both of you? The world that they opened up was definitely it for me because, I
2: mean, lived in the suburbs, very typical Aussie upbringing, and um, lived in the suburbs and a, a car was the was the ticket out, you know, to go and do stuff and, and be able to explore. So, uh, I wasn't that fussy at the time of what car it was, I just know that 300 right. bucks is a good price for a car. And um, But yeah, mum was interested in cars My pop was interested in cars as well um, And had like a couple of old books and things But I didn't have that teenager bring up Of going to racetracks and stuff all the time That just wasn't I was playing sports and I was doing music stuff That's what I was doing as a kid So those three things I still do and I love sports, love music and love cars That's sort of what, what I'm into um, uh, but yeah, my mom had a couple of kind of cool little old cars and then we had some crappy cars when I was a little kid. My dad had lots of crappy cars. He had Daewoos and just all sorts of terrible stuff. Okay. I think I came home from hospital in like a Tyrana, but the sunbird one, the fuel crisis four cylinder one, that's really slow that everyone laughs at, but now yeah, it's probably worth heaps of money. Um, because in the yeah, end the late seventies, that's all you were buying. So
1: yeah, I think similar to Marty, I wasn't interested in what a car was, I was interested in what a car could do for you. And so I was born in Grafton, you know, half an hour or 40 minutes out of Grafton City. So you needed cars to get around. I moved to Tarrigo, which is a little town in between Goulburn and Canberra. So you needed cars to get everywhere. So from a very young age, I was used to, if you, an adventure started mm-hmm. in a car, you know, an adventure started by getting in a car and going somewhere because you knew you were going somewhere exciting. And my dad would often come home with weird cars. He had an Alfa Romeo. He got a um, a Ford. Falcon LTD um, uh, sure. with power windows, and um, and that was the first time I was accused of of being a liar in my life that I remember was driving to school with my dad, and, um, and I would drive from Terry going to Goulburn where I was going to school and he dropped me off and I said to the kids when I got to school I was in year one and I said my dad has a window in his car you press a button and it goes up and down you're a liar no he doesn't I there's a button there's a button. You press the button and it goes, no, it doesn't. That kid's a liar. And then I think, you know, I know someone tried to beat me up or something. I know because you're lying about a thing. So, so I remember being really excited about technology in cars at that time. And, so, and I don't know why my dad had, you know, quite a few different ones. My mum loved minis. Her parents had minis, uh, I think, as well. And so my first car before I had got the Camaro was actually a mini. And we had a circular driveway. And I just drive round and round and round and round. And I still, like, I still own a mini now. Um, but, yeah, anyway,
0: that was my, my influence so correct me if I'm wrong in joining the dots here, but, but uh, something like a bit of mucking around on Marty's mum's driveway in 2007 is, is kind of a, a, a light switch moment. Did the peer review sort of go, hey, this will be a, a bit of fun, uh, it will be shits and giggles? What, what, where did the conversation to sort of start this whole thing come from?
1: That's a very good question, Uh, Rusty. I'll tell you exactly what happened. So, um, I often pendulum between these two various states of car stuff. So, one week I'll be like really excited about going four-wheel driving and the next weekend... I'll want to take a Lotus to a track day. Like that is just, and I'm, and I, and I can't just sit in one camp. I'm going between the two of them. And so, um, um, uh, I bought a Jeep Wrangler, uh, and, um, and that's not something I often speak about, um, that much, um, for reasons known to those who know, um, no, but anyway, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep it for the summer. It's going to be great. And, um, and, uh, and I drove it around for about six weeks. And, uh, and as I said to someone, um, a Jeep will go past absolutely anything except a Station, you could see the thing. You could see the needle just going down. And so again, I swung the other way, and I heard about these little cars called a Daihatsu Cior Cure, um, which means kiss, Marty. Is that what it is? Yeah, Italian, Italian for kiss. kiss. It's um and Mira in Japan. And a, a Daihatsu Mira, and I was like, it's a tiny little two door car. This is great. I'm going to buy one of them. It was four thousand dollars. It was really economical on
0: fuel. Antithesis of the Jeep. Hey.
1: Which is just me, which is just... It's just what I do, and I'm still doing it now. I'm swinging side to side. And um, so Marty and I, by that stage, we were working together at a studio called Gas in Piedmont. And so it was a studio that we ran ourselves. Originally, I was in there by myself, and we were competing with two other big studios that were supplying all the music for the big advertising agencies in Sydney. And so they had teams and producers and audio posts, and we just had Marty and I in a big room pretending that we were more than we really were and some support staff down in Melbourne. And so... We'd been making these funny little videos that I guess now would be pranks or gags on YouTube. And we went, look, there's this website. It was not monetized. No one was sponsored. There was no influencers. That didn't exist yet. And I said to Marty, "Um, I bought this little car. I love it, but it sucks at the same time. It's got the stereo's not good. It doesn't have central locking. And Marty said, you know what? I know how to fix all that stuff. And because while I was studying music, I also did filmmaking and... Animation, I'd always been in, you know, loving uh, filmmaking and editing. I said, why don't we just make a little video and put it up there? It was not motivated by anything other than just pure fun. And so I drove the car to Marty's house and it was a big, bit of a big trip because by then I was living around, you know, um, Parramatta and Marty was down in the Sutherland Shire. And so we'd drive over and basically the idea would be that I would present. Hi, how are you going? My name's Moog. I've got a little car and we're going to get someone to fix it up. This is Marty. And Marty's role in inverted commas wasn't to speak much. It was to kind of do the techie stuff. And then I would go, next up, Marty's going to do the whatever. And then he would do that. And at the end of it, um, we would have a video and my car would be a bit better. What we did do in that very first episode is I think I needed some tires, Marty, from Tempe Tyres or some wheels. And I do believe that I went to Tempe Tyres and they said it was going to be $800 for wheels and tyres. And I said, we're making a little documentary about it. And they said, we'll give you 200 bucks off. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like, so the very first episode, you know, we, we sponsored, got some... Sponsored content. <laughs> sponsored content. Um, it's just a good um, deal for everyone. It worked great for them. It, it was great. And so we got about 300 views and... Here's the thing. If you're an artist, you're an author, you're a musician, when you release something, you know that your friends and family are going to be really exciting. You know they're going to support you in the first week. And then in the next week, maybe they're going to share with some of their friends. Hey, have a look at this, have a look at that. Getting outside of the circle of the people that love and support you I think is probably the hardest thing in business or arts or filmmaking or anything creative because everyone that loves you will support you. And I realized that 300 views on a video – I didn't have that many friends. And so I went this was before, you know, Facebook had you know, everyone's got ten thousand friends and all these kinds of so I realized because that we got three hundred and twenty views or three hundred and thirty views, more people were watching than people that we knew and I went, Oh, people must like something about it. It was motivated by telling a story. For me, it was motivated by telling a story and sharing educational information about cars while having fun, uh, for me.
2: And this was, um, and it's part of how we shared that initially. So yeah, Facebook was very new. I think YouTube started in 06 and we started at the end of 07, early 08. And it was still postage stamp size. It was very small, um facebook was very basic as well so there wasn't really this huge social network to share stuff through so a lot of the original views actually came from these forums i was mentioning before uh just through word of mouth as well it's also worth remembering this is very early broadband days so even watching a video on the internet at that point was a bit of a trip you're like whoa we can watch video on this this is crazy you know downloading music napster had only just gone away things like that so but the mods we were doing on on the little red card that was pretty much what I was doing on the driveway with my mates from back in the Gemini days. This is, you know, six or seven years after the, jet, the Gemini's demise. But that's pretty much what we did on weekends. We just, you know, mod cars, work on cars, like learn, just hang out together. It was kind of, it was good. And we just started doing it every every, every weekend, didn't we?
1: And so that's how our weekends were filled.
2: That's right. And back then there might have been, you know, um, d- 20 videos in a year mm. and now
1: there's 80. Yeah. And basically, the the roles were that I would say to Marty, I'd really like central locking and a stereo and a this and a this and a this, and I would pay for the stuff. Um, Marty would pick up the kind of equipment that we would need. I forgot, I worked at JCAR at the time, and I had a staff <laughs> card so that's so the other good. reason it
2: happened so we used to crank all this so a lot of audio le- auto electrical stuff and audio stuff which i was interested in still working Smashing while i was working at studios and i was studying audio engineering and doing everything else which smashes stuff on the on the j car staff card so awesome. thanks j car
1: and then afterwards i would get my camera which i'd saved up and bought which was like eighteen hundred dollars or something for this jvc camera then i would take the 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 cards away i would edit up during the week put it together do the voiceover add some music that by at that stage was made in garage band and then upload it to the internet i mean I mean, now we're coming to you from a purpose-built space that Marty and I actually worked with builders and designers to create, and we've each got an edit suite with, you know, there's one, two, three, there's four pieces of glass between us in acoustically designed spaces, and we're editing videos, and he'll come to my room, Marty, can you do this voiceover? And then I'll go to his, can you do this voiceover? Oh, I need a bit of music. Oh, we need to shoot this thing. So we're working really collaboratively, but back then it was Marty's job to get the gear, and it was my job to sit by myself after I'd finished my real job and edit into the night and finish the video, so and it, it would was, take like three days to upload something.
2: It would it ages. It was big yep. risk. It's like you'd upload and then you just cross your fingers and come back a few
0: days later. Amazing. Yeah. Hey, can we talk? I mean, it's the space you've created, by the way, is um, phenomenal and testament to the the great work that you've been doing. But in those early days, I would imagine, um, and the the clear. One of the clear reasons for your success is, you know, dare I use that that overused word authenticity? Because it's just you guys. It's it's the people I'm talking to now. Um, were there any early learnings in that where you, you know you you don't need to put on the facade and be some sort of you know serious presenter or, or actor or it, it's just you guys, isn't it? When did that click?
1: Yeah, I think we didn't. I think we didn't know how to. I, th- I think now, if you kind of look at, there's books on how to how to be an influencer. There's books on how to be... I mean, sitting here talking with you now, Rusty, like when Mm. we met you for the first time, you are just so good at what you do. Your research is excellent. Uh, Marty and I stopped doing interviews a couple of years ago. We don't do them anymore, you know, and so we just just don't do them, you know, for a variety of different reasons. Mainly at the time that we stopped was when everybody wants to be a millionaire on the internet and Marty and I were seen as a success story and we'll tell you how to do it. Overnight success. You know, you can be an overnight success. You just need to work for 15 years or whatever. But the thing is, what you do comes really naturally and you're obviously super experienced and you know your stuff. You know, that's really clear. But there are books that will try and detail how you can formulate yourself to do that. But I would argue that it's your experience and you as a person that is making your show successful and makes you really good at what you do because each time I talk to you, I go, he really knows his stuff. You know, and so... Um, I don't necessarily really know my stuff to the uh, to the degree of a master mechanic or even a normal mechanic that's kind of doing it every day. But what I do hope is that I can be authentic in terms of my enthusiasm and my interest around cars. And I think that's what it's always been.
2: And how to communicate it. So one of the biggest things that people sort of take for granted these days... There was no front-facing cameras, and I'm coming back to the technology side of it, but partly what we've been able to do is the technology of the time, as it was quite new, we've been able to utilise it, so there was no front-facing cameras, no one was taking selfies, they were years away, um, and people were shy being on camera, so it was actually a big deal, I can still remember the feeling of going, what, we're, g- we're going to film it, that's weird, isn't that what happens on TV shows, and so there was that democratisation of that area, and... You know, you point a camera at someone; they sort of freeze up. Now it's like everyone's got a phone in their pocket, and they've yeah. got you know some social media thing going on, and they're selfing about what they did that day. In so, fact,
1: Marty, that's a good point. That's, that's a opposite, major, isn't it? major, major change. People liven up now when there's a camera. They on do,
2: them. and and because if I go back and watch those first ones, which which feel a bit cringy, but also it was a long time ago, like. I'm proud that we, we managed to do it, but I do also remember sort of being a bit like, oh, yeah, then we're going to put in the central lock. And now I would try and project it a bit more and understand that the audience you, you, you're talking to are very interested in it and and try and communicate it. And it comes back to what we were just saying then about it's not just knowing it like a mechanic. I don't assume to be a mechanic or have all that knowledge. I've got a lot of experience from DIYing for like 20-something years, but but it's also being able to communicate in a way that people understand. I always try and think about... I'm not talking to a crusty 56-year-old mechanic who's been, been there and done that. I'm probably talking more likely to a 20-year-old dude or girl who's like, I got my first car, I want to do a bunch of mods, what do I do? And a bit confused about where to start. Like, I would be if
0: I watched a sewing video. That sense of community, you're talking about forums and some of the early stuff, is that where all of the kind of um, learnings, for you guys came from as you you know I mean I'm sure I'm assuming this trial and error and things you know clearly went wrong maybe in those early days as you yeah. were going and and yep. then and then sharing those tapes it was also um yeah so much of it was also access
2: to tools i realized as well that you know cuz also we're going back 20 years when i first first bought my my tools like you couldn't get as good stuff either mm. and if you could it was really really expensive and so i feel every time i use a really nice tool now i'm like oh this this actually makes this easy you know get the right tools for the job which everyone says which is fine to say that but if you weren't 300 bucks for your weekend job and the tool 600 bucks you're not mm. buying that thing no. you know like you're, you're going to try and make it work so a lot of that does you know breed breed some ingenuity by by having to come up with how to fix it but yeah a lot of learnings from the initial dawn of the internet in terms of forums and then Um, Yeah, you know, people are writing how-tos. People are also very happy to share that, and I still am. Some people are not now. They're a bit more like, no, this is my phone and you can't have it, which I don't really like that as much. But if I know how to do something, I'll 100% give people the recipe. And I consider a lot of this stuff recipes when you're talking about how to engine swap something and what will fit and what won't fit and what bolts to use. What about
0: cars that came along that you uh, modified and then perhaps moved on because you had to get to the next thing? Have there been regrets? Have there been ones where you've gone, oh, man, we really shouldn't have let that one go? And what were they?
1: Uh, I would say now that um, there's no regrets at the time. But I think what some people do is they look at the financial state of cars now and go, "I wish I'd never sold my Sylvia." <laughs> Sylvia? What are you talking about? Because now that's worth fifty thousand dollars, and back then, you know, you can get an S fifteen for eight thousand dollars. So I don't really have regrets because I kind of I really see them as um, stepping stones mm. to do more. There was a period of time though when I remember someone in the comments kind of going. Man, these guys have got so many cars, they're really baller. You know, like, they must be doing really well. And what they didn't realise, we only had one car... But we would sell that car for ten grand, buy another one, make a bunch of videos, and often the car that we'd sold for ten grand was going to a friend. And then in two or three videos' time, we would borrow the car back to do some more mods. So it would start to look. I guess in a way, it's the kind of fake it till you make it. But it would look like there was a fleet <laughs> of cars, and actually, we just had one car each, but we still had access to some of the old ones that we'd mm. sold. Uh, there's, there's, there's probably one or two. But yeah, I've very much learned now that. Um,
2: the car is, you know, a metal mechanical thing. It's it's the experiences you're probably more thinking of. I know people get very nostalgic, especially as they get older, about going, oh, that was the best car. No, you're just having a really good mm. time. You had your mates around. You Maybe you had a girlfriend or boyfriend. You're like, you know, who knows? There's all these sort of things that people tie back. So it's probably more about the time than the car. In terms of um, just good cars that just worked really well, yeah, there's been some where I'm like, how did that thing survive? Like, we just we just smashed it. We did so much with it, and it just it just loved it. And then there's been one or two lemons. But... Um, I'm just slowly sort of... What I keep coming back to, and I mentioned it earlier about the wagons, like I keep coming back to this this car that can do so many things well and, um, and the technology that's out there now to make stuff fast is just incredible. Like what you can do and the, the parts you can buy and how inexpensive it is to to do something really good is definitely what's changed.
1: I feel like when you're younger and you're getting into cars, in a way, when you can afford the car you want, I kind of look at it philosophically like your car is a machete, right? <laughs> it has one tool... It does it really well. You go into the bush and there's all this stuff. You just cut, cut, cut. But I feel like as you get a bit older, your machete has to turn into a Leatherman or a Swiss Army right, knife. And, and so what I mean yeah. by that, let's a, a Lotus is a machete, right? It just cuts around the track really, really fast. You don't do your shopping in it. It's not great for date nights. Ask me how I know. Um, it's not great for daily driving, going over speed bumps and stuff like that. Whereas you go, okay, well, what is really good for that? Cool. Let's let's choose a, a, a base model goal for a focus or something. That's great for going and getting your shops and doing all the different things you need to do. Then you go on a date night and, and your girlfriend goes, this car's boring, and you go to the track and it's not that fast. So you kind of you kind of swinging between I'm swinging between these two things and eventually I think as you get to a certain age you realize why everybody is driving dual cab utes and you realize why people are driving um Subaru wagons, WRX's, Golf R wagons because they are really this Swiss army knife that does a whole lot of things really well. Um but but that's that's a very sensible way of looking at things, isn't it? Which is a bit boring. Some people sometimes. just like cars that are red. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: I like the red one. <laughs> That's the end of part one of my podcast with Marty and Moog from Mighty Car Mods. What a yarn. Two guys, as I'm sure you can tell here, who aren't focused on clicks, likes and shares, but have been curious and tech savvy enough to forge their own online path telling cool yarns about cars, modifying them, and it's taken them all over the world. We are not done yet telling this impressive story. Head back to the Rusty's Garage Library and check out part two, which is all loaded up and ready for you to enjoy right now. From an Aussie classic they haven't tackled yet, maybe they'll have to after this conversation, what the future looks like and how they remain very hands-on with their car content creation, passionately connected to it all, despite how big their following or community has become. And the Super Garage.